You're listening to the American Soccer Analysis Show. Dude, you're, you're the Tommy McNamara of podcasting. It's great. Thank you. Wait, what? With your hosts, Ian Lamberson. If you say one more bad thing about Mike Grella, I'm going to cut you. And Harrison Crow. Patrick Mullins is what happens when you least expect it. Hello, yes, and welcome to the American Soccer Analysis Show. I am your host, Ian Lamberson. With me, as always, my friend, my colleague, a man who logs every defensive action while he drives. It's Harrison Crow. Say hey to everybody, Harrison. Wait, while I drive? Yeah, sure, defensive driving. <laughs> Look, they're not all going to be good. I'm going to try to have one every week, and I can promise some of them will be good. But no, 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 absolutely. I'm always, always defensive driver, always, you know, uh, attentive <laughs> on the road at all times, making sure my uh, my children and the, the other drivers on the road can depend right. upon me for the safety uh, right. of the arrival. The thing is, is that there are always so many soccer statistical uh, anal- analytics jokes I can really go to. So I'm going to like be hitting uh, some of the the, the, the the earlier wells a lot sooner than I think I probably hoped on these opening on these opening lines for you. <laughs> well, hopefully we can do it frequently enough and mix it up enough to where people forget when you start uh, going uh, back yeah. to that to that well. That's that would be the dream, right? I'll just try to make all of them as unmemorable as possible, so as to save myself some work and creativity. And I'll do my best not to point them out so that people are like, hey, you remember that time that he used that one already? Yeah, we talked about it. The first segment of every show will be uh, Harrison Critiques, Ian's uh, opening line throwaway introduction to Harrison, and I think that's good. Yes! (laughs) All right, but get this. Last week, we started a historic tradition on the American Soccer Analysis Show. And I promised our listeners, our fans, um, you know, I think probably our friends, our family, uh, that we would try our best to do it every week. And this is the second week in a row we're going to do the interesting stat of a week segment. Isn't that fantastic? Well, uh, second week that it's been sponsored by someone else. They've done the work for us. This is the brilliant part of the plan. This is why it's going to happen now, is instead of me having to find one, I've just farmed it out to the internet and uh, our friends, so it's actually a lot easier now. So expect this to, uh, to definitely get used all the time. Uh, this week, our interesting side of the week, comes from our friend Aaron, who said to me, Colorado had an outrageous amount of tackles, 34. Actually, their defensive numbers were a bit insane across the board. 40 tackle attempts, 21 interceptions, 33 clearances, 12 blocks, 30 of 49 on aerial duels, and 14 fouls, and then he notes they're going to be dead by the end of March. Um, so I looked at last year and Colorado averaged about 17 tackles a game. Um, and the league leaders were, uh, the New York teams where they're averaging close to 20. This is a lot all of a sudden. And I know it's only the first game, um, but, but it does bear some, uh, I, I think some mention as it's an interesting thing to go forward. Uh, Aaron further wanted me to add that, um, in Canada, the cliche, and Aaron is Canadian, that explains why this is happening. In Canada, the cliche line is, always keep your stick on the ice, not show what the soccer one is. The thing I find interesting so far is low passing numbers of what seems to be high work rates by defensive teams like Colorado uh, and their tackle numbers. And I wonder if this is a sign of early season effort or if this is something we should expect the whole season. That and how it seems like every team wants to play on the counterattack. Uh, bottom four teams in possession so far are the Red Bulls at 45.1%, Los Angeles Galaxy at 45%, Vancouver at 44.4%, and LAFC at 43%. Uh, and early season uh, numbers in game states, notwithstanding, uh, it'd be interesting to see if this continues. All right, so Aaron pointed that a lot, and you know, just as a sort of... Uh, to our listeners, uh, when I say, what would you like me to say to the world? Uh, something like, go Red Bulls is more of what I had in mind. But <laughs> if you want to uh, go ahead and drop some more tactical theory in there, that's certainly appreciated as well. Uh, do you have any thoughts on this? Like, what is going on with Colorado? Like, we thought that they would be maybe a little less defensive with a new coach, but it looks like they might be even more. Yeah, I don't think that it necessarily, this is about being more defensive or less defensive, right? They have a style and they're they're catering to it towards it. I mean, they have the highest elevation in MLS. Uh, their park uh, is is one of those uh, strategic locations that people coming in are, aren't 
necessarily going to be able to play to the peak potential, right? Like that's, it's just going to be more difficult. And so you kind of design a strategy. It's no different than, you know, New York City doing it around their small field. And other, other cities, I mean, Houston had this for a long time to where they had the, the, they had that small dimensions of their field and they, they strategically placed it a, a different, uh, a different tactical way. They are a very direct team. They use that ball to get up, uh, get up high. And then they would cross the ball in using, uh, you know, Brad Davis and his left, this wonderful left foot, um, and that was kind of their style. You can kind of take that from a lot of teams, and they have a very unique style for their unique case. And sometimes teams just don't have a definable advantage. Um, L.A., I don't think, has a necessarily an advantage. Maybe they do in the terms of their homegrown department, but they haven't really taken advantage of that. Uh, you know, they haven't really uh, embraced some of the different cultural uh, opportunities that they have, but you know, Seattle, same way. I don't think they really have any specific Vancouver. I can't think of very many, but Colorado has that advantage. And I think that they're just playing to it. And I think it's a smart way to do it. Build your team towards what's going to, uh, give you the best advantage for, look, you play half your games at home. And if you have, you know, the opportunity to win three quarters to 90% of those, um, that puts you in a really good shape uh, for a bare minimum the playoffs. And really, you can win a shield just on uh, your home play. I mean, a couple teams have proven that over the last uh, few years now. All right. So, But I would say uh, to, to, to kind of counter that, and what, what Aaron brought up was that uh, they'll be dead by March. And we did see uh, in the one home game that we saw, we've seen from Colorado, which was actually a CCL game against Toronto, um, they were playing this very high effort, uh, you know, defense and this just like high running effort all over the field. And they were gassed by minute 50. It was the first game of the year and it was the coldest recorded MLS game. This is true. This so is true. <laughs> there, there's it's a lot hard. of things. There's a lot of things that take into account for that. And I think that it's going to be really interesting to see, as Aaron noted, I think it's going to be really interesting to see if they can keep this up and if they choose to keep this up. Right. Um, there's a lot of trends that happen and are established early on that uh, kind of fold into other plans as the season progresses. I mean, right, we've yeah, we've seen Colorado working. also in the mix for two other uh, additional players that are of higher quality. And I say higher quality because they're looking to spend TAM or DP money possibly as the rumors mm-hmm. uh, kind of position it. So who knows what this might mean for the future, but you know, they definitely are still playing to strengths that are embedded in the this roster now and what about uh he kind of points out it, it's sort of um related to this but but also an interesting point i, I do think he's right it, it does seem like we're seeing a lot of mls teams now trying to counterattack, uh and having that be their kind of primary sort of you know method of, of generating offense and you can't everybody can't do that no, but when you have Portland, uh, when you have Seattle, when you have even Toronto for a, a little bit, um, you have these teams that want to kind of hold on to the ball and, and dictate possession in a specific sort of way. You're going to have teams try to orchestrate. Uh, Atlanta is another one. Uh, you're going to see teams that are going to try to figure out ways that they can exploit that. And one of the quickest ways to do, and easiest ways to do that is to turn into a counterattacking team. Now, this isn't necessarily about bunkering. You know, we talked about Houston last week. Uh, they didn't just bunker. They used strategic, you know, lines. Uh, and Columbus actually did the same exact thing. They used strategic lines to kind of say, this is this is where we're, we're hoping to uh, create the turnovers. And it's, it's no different than how... Um, n- I don't want to say it's it's not any different. Um, New York also has a high line press where they set that um, the point of transition a little bit higher, right? They want to start their transition into the attack really inside their opponent's half. They want to gain possession really quickly. Well, that's going to create a lot of open space back behind them. And so um, with that, you're going to see teams try to take advantage of that. 
I guess what I really hopefully want to see is just two teams passing the ball back and forth to each other until one takes it. So the Why? other can counterattack. I don't know. It'd just be amusing. Because that's what people tell you is supposed to be awesome? I don't know. It just seems funny to that's, me. That's my token hero. Soccer. All right, all right. Uh, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to take it. No, I, you know what? Look, it, there is absolutely some, some room to, to really enjoy some of the skilled players within the league, you know, um, and I can't specifically say one game that I've witnessed over last year that was two position-oriented teams just uh, creating beautiful soccer and opportunities and stuff. But with that, I, I, I think that there is something to say for the counterattack that's really interesting the way it, it evolves and the way it's sprung um, and the turnovers that are created by it. I, I think it's really interesting. I think we're starting to see a tactical evolution within MLS and, you know, someone pointed this out on Twitter and uh, Jared Young kind of even mentioned he has uh, a new article going up in the next couple of days uh, on passes and kind of uh, the increase in passes that are happening and occurring in Major League Soccer. So I, I don't necessarily think that you're seeing teams just try to counter. I think they're trying new things uh, tactically, and I think that's kind of resulted in some teams absorbing more possession and some teams forcing uh, those teams to have possession so that they can counter. So, Okay, well, tactical trends, obviously, a little bit early in the season to start making wide-sweeping proclamations, but there, there, there does seem to be um, a little bit more uh, dabbling with the three-slash-five back and the... Uh, uh, you know, the high press and uh, 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 counterattacking. These are all kind of very in vogue right now. So uh, it'll be interesting to see which 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 teams this works for and, and which, uh, uh, you know, do something or <laughs> decide to do something else as we get a little further in the year. Uh, obviously, some teams are not finding a lot of joy with it. Um, thank you, Aaron, very much for our uh, interesting stat of the week. Uh, if you find something uh, and you want us to read it here as well as uh, a message, uh, which can be personal or a tactical missive, uh, just hit us up on Twitter, uh, and we'll be glad to do that. Um, okay, guess what we get to talk about again, Harrison? One of our favorite topics. Will <laughs> um, well, Trap? No, <laughs> no. Uh, <laughs> Our second favorite topic, uh, and that is Lin Nguyen, who is okay. Is, he, is, he still, is he still alive, or is he still held hostage? We do we have know. do He's, we have proof of life? We don't. I have not seen him on Twitter in a while. Um, we have very unsubstantiated rumors, and I, I do want to you know mention that that I, I I'm not uh, at all claiming that these are 100 percent accurate. But there uh, there was some talk that that New England has reopened. Um, or is now uh, listening to, to offers for Lin Nguyen. Uh, apparently Chicago and Montreal are maybe the favorites. Um, we have talked a lot about how good Lin Nguyen is and how uh, important he's been and how maybe I, I feel like a lot uh, very underrated over the past couple of years. Um, and this is a number 10, and there are a few teams that need one. And uh, I, I guess other than Montreal, other than Chicago – and any wild ideas for where to find uh, Lee Nguyen at home? Yeah, so let's just start out there with Montreal. And we can kind of go come back to this in, in just a second because there's a lot there. You know, they, they've already been connected with a few other pieces. Um, I'm not sure how that's going to work going forward. You know, Remy Gard's gone into this uh, 4-1-4-1 uh, type mm -hmm. uh, with three almost defensive midfielders, you know, uh, collectively clobbering people in the middle of that field. And Daniel Lovitz uh, and uh, Ignacio Piatti being the, the kind of the fulcrums of this team, creating opportunities. So um, I don't know how a 10 really functions and fits into what Remy Gard wants. Obviously, it'd be really great to get some of that pressure off of Piatti. Uh, a lot of talk has been on uh, Jason Vargas and his, you know, eventual growth into this first team. You know, he's 20 years old. He's been around this team for, I think, going on three years now. Uh, he keeps getting loaned out to Argentina. He's had a lot of Argentina, I think maybe even uh, 
Columbia as well. He's had a lot of really good underlying stats. I think um, our, our good friend Aaron Nielsen, who also um, wrote an article on a, uh, American Soccer Analysis previewing Montreal, pointed out in the article he had more chances created in Argentina, uh, in, I think roughly the same equivalency of time as Ezekiel Barco. Um, you know, with about a year difference, two years difference uh, in age. So he's a really um, interesting prospect when it comes to what he uh, and what he's capable of, but he hasn't shown that yet. So in some way, um, they have to facilitate a, another person outside of Ignacio Piatti who's going to facilitate that attack. I mean, uh, Daniel Lovitz has been really great uh, from the from the defensive uh, fullback side, but they're going to need someone to take some some of that pressure, especially away from that left side. So the thought and the hope was that Jason Vargas was going to come back and finally, after multiple years of kind of possibly being that person, finally step into those shoes uh, and transfer here to, to Montreal be that new uh, attacking figure. And, you know, Aaron Nielsen, who um, writes for American Soccer Analysis, did a great preview of uh, Montreal for us and mentioned in it, he actually had more chances created than Ezekiel Barco in roughly the same amount of time. So mm-hmm. there's there's underlying data that says Vargas could be that guy. They're adding pieces already and they're being connected to a couple different other pieces for redundant wing players, I don't know if they're going to have the resources to then also add Lee Wynn on top of Remy Guard's really gone with this 4-1-4-1 defensive midfield type clustering uh, Mm -hmm. the uh, the first two games of the season. Now that could be just because that's the pieces that he has and he hasn't finished kind of making the roster his own. but that's kind of the feeling that that I get from just looking at his tactics. Now, shifting over to Chicago, I mean, you got Bastian Schweinsteiger, who is kind of fulfilling that 10. They went out and got Tony Chani, so they wouldn't have to use Schweinsteiger so far back, and so that he could also fulfill that 10 role. Um, if they bring in Lee Wynn, you have to wonder how they're going to manage. And, and I'm sure, you know, uh, th- that front office, the coaching staff, is really, really good. Um, they, I'm sure they can manage that if that's what they decide to do, but I don't think they're going to be able to get 2,000 minutes out of Schweinsteiger, Lee Wynn, uh, and whoever else that they're going to be trying to cluster in Dax McCarty. That's that's a really packed midfield. Um, you know, obviously, Tony Chani, they went and got him for a reason, so... You know, uh, what are what are some of your thoughts? I know you 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 mentioned a couple other ideas or one specific idea via DMs earlier. Uh, yeah, you know, and, and again with Chicago, I, I I think that's what you call a good problem to have uh, if that's the problem you find yourself with. Um, I could see the one kind of going in there and, and then just Schweinsteiger pushing back again, and you know, Chani will just kind of fill in. I know Schweinsteiger as good and fit as he was last year, you know, is not getting younger. And it's hard to imagine him going, you know, as many minutes as he did last season. So there will be time to kind of, uh, you know, fill in there. I could see that that move making a lot of sense for everybody. Um, so I've always said, and I'll continue to say it, even though I have no support for this um, from anybody on the Internet, which is surprising, <laughs> um, I would very much like Lean Wen to go to Minnesota, who – Needed a 10 very badly last week, and with this new terrible news of losing Kevin Molino uh, for the season with a torn ACL, are going to be extremely desperate for a number 10 uh, if they want to get anything going forward. Um, you know, as we've seen, Molino is really just, just the main, I don't want to say only, I mean, we saw great things from the wings, um, you know, this, this weekend, but but Molino, you know, without Molino, it's it's just a it's a very hard it's very hard to see them not having a, a really bad season going forward. And I don't know that Nguyen is a, a like for like replacement of somebody like Molino, uh, but he's somebody that can get the ball uh, and can get the ball forward to strikers and can spray the ball out to the wings nicely. Um, this is just something I'd like to see. Well, I don't, okay, so I don't think Molino or. Um you know, Lee Wynn are comparable in any way, shape or form, to be perfectly honest. Um, but that being said, I think they're both uniquely very good at what they do. However, I think Molino is terrible at being a 10. 
I think he's actually very similar to uh, the Piatis, the Laderos, the uh, Almirons that uh, like to create out from wide. And, and they're very good at that. And for whatever reason, they f Minnesota feels the need to try to move him into the middle of the field, which he's displayed he's just not as good at. Um, uh, over the last year, we just saw his stats um, after they went and got, uh, I think it was Sam Nicholson and then uh, Ethan Finley, which kind of forced uh, Molino inside. You just saw his creation numbers, his expected goal numbers, all just kind of plummet. Um, as the year went on. So uh, I, I really worry about um, uh, trying to use him there. Well, this kind of opened up the opportunity if they do go and get Lee Wynn. And I think Lee Wynn would be a creative force in that midfield. Um, he's going to do not just the amazing attacking parts, but he's also going to do the dirty work, which you kind of need to do. And they don't have a lot of people doing that in that midfield. So it would definitely be a good thing from Minnesota's perspective. The question is, as far as there, there doesn't seem to be a real um, consistent vision as far as what they're trying to establish and how they're trying to go about it, right? So they yes. have three really great young striking tack. And Christian Ramirez, uh, I said young, he's what, 26? So, yeah. I mean, he's he's still in his prime. He's not necessarily uh, young up and coming, but yeah, for Minnesota... Right, sure. So for uh, Dinlati, for Mason Toy, these two guys, the, I, I think the hope... And the faith that they have right now, getting them through the MLS Super Draft, is to develop them and then sell them on, much like kind of how the plan was with Kyle uh, Laren in a lot of different uh, aspects that just mm -hmm. kind of it kind of became bamboozled and you know things happened uh, much to the chagrin of MLS and Orlando. <laughs> but with that intent, that's how I can kind of see this uh, developing, and without obviously having a 10 within their midst, I think it kind of behooves them to go to a 4-4-2, which in MLS today, it, it's kind of catering towards a 4-4-2 once again. We see the, the uh, cyclicer, oh my goodness. Uh, it, basically, you're seeing these tactics come around to where you know 10 years ago we were phasing out of those uh, out of those formations right. now they're becoming a little bit more useful because we're seeing those five-man back lines yeah, and it's yeah exactly and so i think that it would actually be really interesting and it would give mason toy it would give um you know uh Dinlati, uh, an opportunity to get on the field and it would give minnesota an excuse to play christian ramirez because they're obviously trying to establish their young player value but they can't really do that while playing one striker at a time. And when you have three of those like that, you're going to have to figure out some rhythm. They have so many wide players as well. I think it would really behoove them to just, we saw them go to a 4-4-2 in that second yeah. half. It worked out really well for them. I would, I would think that that's what they're going to go to going forward. Um, that being said, if New England's truly uh, ready to part, with mm -hmm. Lee Wynn and God bless them. They should be, yes. uh, this, this would be the time to strike. Cause his values, his, they, they can't be asking for what they, what they would have been asking in December or, or January. Oh, that's, yeah, no that's, that's just, it does. That's not the way the market works. I mean, they're hoping at this stage, they're, they're praying that Montreal, Chicago, uh, Minnesota are all either incompetent and, and or desperate. Um, and, and I don't think necessarily any of those things are true about either of those organizations. I think one of those is true of two of three of those, and I'm not going to say which ones are which. <laughs> I, well, it, it's with Nelson Rodriguez at Chicago. I think that kind of makes it clear what you think. But we shall I, see. I, I, I don't I, – I look, you know, I don't want to cast uh, dispersions uh, among those, but the thing is um, – Minnesota has has managed to go after some really interesting pieces, and they, while they haven't necessarily put a stamp on what they're doing or how they're doing it, they have still collected some really interesting pieces, and you have to give them props for that. They're not dumb. They just haven't really made a decision yet. And Montreal hired Remy Gard. Remy Gard's a really um, – he, he's a well-thought-of coach. Um, obviously, there's there's some – uh, institutional practices there that uh, mm -hmm. Montreal is kind of um, 
they've not strayed from over the last few years. And that's made them, you know, while they've had some highs and they've had some lows, that's pretty much made them consistent as far as they don't get burned on the transfer side. They really don't, uh, they might not necessarily get these high, amazing value players, but they're constantly getting uh, decent and good players into their organization. And I think that speaks to uh, kind of their practices, right? Right. No, absolutely. <clears throat> Certainly when you sign up for the Montreal Impact job, you know, you should be aware that that's what you're getting. Right. I mean, you, you, you're not going to go after, you know, anybody but Italian players and um, the one-off Southern American. The one-off South American player. Yeah. The great, the great Ignacio Piatti. Um, so other than Minnesota, I, I mean, I think I've seen like Dallas bandied about, um, not sure that that's a perfect fit either, but would be an interesting kind of landing spot for him. Um, other than that, most teams have their 10 set, um, or, you know, appear to, you know, have going to be set, you know, within the next few weeks. Um, they might be desperate enough. Do you think Dallas? I don't know. I don't know. Sorry. Random conjecture thought. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, I think... I mean, you're kind of reshaping your midfield again because, I mean, I guess you could use him up top too. I don't know. I, I could see them maybe thinking that he would be able to fill in in a number of spots in that kind of midfield and forward rotation. That would be good perhaps for him. But I, I think, you know, it's got to be a team that, that's like on the precipice and wants to compete big this year and just needs that one piece. And there just aren't a lot of teams that, that are in that situation where the, that's all they're lacking is that number 10. So we shall see. Um, and as always, we will update you on the Lena Wayne saga every single week. Uh, every week. For 15 minutes or more, if possible. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. Let's talk about this last weekend of games. There were some really um, – Interesting matches, as always. Some surprising matches, as always. Um, I think the main one we want to talk about, because it's what everybody's talking about, what is going on with the Los Angeles Football Club? Yeah, they're not terrible. They are not terrible at all. (laughs) (laughs) Man, you know, I knew some of those players were good. I just didn't think they had it all together. I didn't think they had enough cohesively. Um, and I know it's it's early days. It's obviously early days, and, and their depth hasn't been tested, and that right now is where they're very, very, very um, fragile. Um, but they're also bringing in more players. Oh, I, I, what, what happened? I thought RSL was supposed to be a contender, and LAFC just ran them off the park. Yeah, they did. Um, uh, well, so a couple things, right? Uh, I, I think it was kind of interesting. Marcelo Silva um, wasn't on the field. So, mm-hmm. you know, there's still some early fitness issues. There's still some issues with uh, that midfield partnership. I, I'm kind of, I think a storyline that's going to go forward is, uh, and I made the assumption, I wrote the, the preview piece on ASA for uh, RSL. And, you know, even I made the assumption that, you know, there wasn't going to be a significant drop off with Kyle Beckerman this year. And that kind of wasn't the case. Like they really exposed him um, with those running lanes and Beckerman really had no ability to, to fill them or to kind of close them down. And that's part of that counterattack, right? They, they, Real Salt Lake isn't a possession based team, but they still had almost 60% of the possession and, you know, they went at, they tried to go at the young uh, Jao Mart- uh, Moutinho, Moutinho yeah. and, you know, he did a really great job of just, um, he didn't win all the, uh, I think he had five tackle, ta- uh, five or six tackle attempts and came away with about half of them. Just down that line, uh, Jefferson Saravino uh, tried to really expose him on a couple different attempts, and he just kind of got shut down. And even if uh, Moutinho didn't win the uh, the duel or win the tackle, uh, he definitely had some help, at, uh, some help, and that really went a long way to kind of shutting down. And then, conversely, launching the counterattack because it, it seemed like on multiple occasions you had uh, RSL out of uh, kind of already out of formation um, and, and they hit him fast. Diego Rossi is a quick, quick player and Carlos Villa, you know, uh, this hasn't been mentioned much, but 
his ability for decision making and quick decision making is just lights out. He just identifies things so fast. You know, one of the things that we uh, keep an eye on uh, at ASA uh, is through balls. And, and there's like a lot less of them than you would imagine that's, that, that are attempted. And LAFC, uh, nine of them completed six were key passes. Like that, that's, that's extremely high for a major league soccer. Leading, leading MLS in through balls. Yeah. So, uh, and RSL certainly did themselves no favors, um, you know, in that method. I understand, you know, it doesn't matter how much you lose by, you got to chase the game. Um, <clears throat> but uh, LAFC found it just far too easy to get behind. And it was a lot of it, just a combination of Rossi being very quick um, and making very astute runs. And Carlos Vela, um, you know, I, we looked at his touch, uh, his chalkboard, and it was, uh, Man, it looked nice. Uh, he's all over the pitch, and uh, I have a theory. I think Carlos Vela is good. I have a theory. I think it, I think he's great. And it, it, look, great. look, it, it's not just that he scored goals. These are great things, but goals are chaotic, and especially early in the season, it's early to identify a goal and be like, that dude is good. He's yeah. good at finishing. Yeah. And like, yeah. <laughs> I, I really liked how uh, – uh, uh, I think who who had the broadcast rights for the LAFC game? Um, oh, that was Univision. I, yeah, yeah. Univision, and they went on this uh, whole um, thing about Diego Rossi and his just uncanny finishing ability, and then he pinged one off the post. I loved it so much. Yeah, uh, <laughs> that's that's just the the honoriness in me, but. Uh, there are underlying things that they're doing that are really good. Uh, they have the highest expected goals in MLS right now. And granted, we are too. A lot of that. Yeah, yeah, a lot of that's fluff, and we can't read a lot into that. But they are. It's not just they're attacking and, and finding these one-off opportunities. Even in, in Seattle, um, they didn't have a lot of opportunities, but they made high leverage opportunities out of mm-hmm. them. They, they created really good chances and they are tactically aware, especially in Seattle. Um, now I don't want to use Seattle that as a, as a case for what type of team they are. But I mean, even last week we both said, don't be so, you know, Hey, LAFC got lucky on this one. Cause Honestly, I don't think that they did get lucky in Seattle to a degree. Um, mm-hmm. I think that there was um, there was some luck that happens, and I think that happens for any time you win you win in MLS. I think there has to be some uh, you know luck that's involved, especially when the other team has more than a, a full goal uh, expected goal above you. But they're really smart with their tactical approach. And they bunkered in. They fe- they got a lot of blocks. They put Tyler Miller in a possession to succeed. And then conversely, in uh, RSL, they did the same thing. They exposed the weaknesses of uh, Real Salt Lake. And I, I think that that's going to be something to-, to watch. And I think Carlos Vela is absolutely a dynamic game changer for that organization. And that was something that uh, I honestly, uh, I really wasn't sure of um, coming into the season. Yeah, we really didn't know what to expect with them. And like you said, you know, it's not <clears throat> this early in the season, it's hard to look at them and go like, see, look, look at these expected goals. They're great um, because it is. But what you can kind of say from it is they're not doing things wrong. Right. <laughs> and yeah. We see so many expansion teams over the years come in and just kind of fall very quickly flat on their faces. Um, and LAFC do not appear to be doing that at all. So that is obviously going to be a big storyline uh, and something that everyone's going to have their eye on uh, throughout the course of the season. Um, let's move on to our other games of this week. Uh, started off <clears throat> with Columbus and Montreal, who we discussed briefly. Uh, Giassi Zardes, still golden boot contender two weeks in. Who yeah, would have thought? Who would have thought? <laughs> oh, this guy. <laughs> this guy, one more time. Uh, Columbus with nearly three expected goals, which is good because they got three goals, and Montreal with uh, 1.69. Um, Montreal kind of made it a little bit close. Piotti did some Piotti magic. Uh, but once again, I think we got to look at Columbus and give them the old thumbs up. Columbus is looking good. 
You, so let me let me rein very slightly on that. All right. Oh, uh, good, oh, good, I, good. <laughs> so like the, the one thing that uh, I kind of I was looking through and noticing as far as uh, shots against, um, they are compiling some shots against. Uh, really? Columbus is I, right now. They're averaging about fourteen and a half shots against early on, which is actually two more than what they're averaging for themselves. So twelve and a half for them, fourteen and a half against them. So that's something to kind of watch. Their uh, t- total shot ratio is is uh, a little bit lower than than what we might expect early on, and you know. They played against Toronto. They played against yeah. Montreal. Um, I, I don't think either of those are very. Um, I don't think they're really good tactical fits, and I think for Columbus to come away with you know six points from both of those games is tremendous. But it, it's a little bit self righteous uh, for me to like pat myself on the back just yet and be like, ah, Columbus is great. I knew this. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, we knew Jazzy uh, Zardes was go- going to create some tap ins, right? Uh, yeah. Three goals is a little bit surprising, um, and, and the penalty kick it. W- was a little rich, but um, you know what? Uh, at the same time, you, you you have to give props to the fact that they have a system in place. They stick to that system, and you know because that they've been so rigorous, they've developed players that just they can plug and play. And you know Christian Martinez, who's kind of been on the bench for uh, I think like at least the last year, if not eighteen months, has stepped up tremendously to fill Justin Miram. I mean, a lot of a lot of the talk has been about um, you know Jazzy Zardes, Pedro Santos. Um, Christian Martinez has been really good early on, and uh, you know even uh, Federico Iguain has been uh, just an absolute crafty veteran. Um, so yeah, they've been really great in the attack. Um, however, that defense is, um, I, I'm, I'm kind of, I'm coming on, on the hold right now. So not to rain well, on the parade, but I just yeah, think and to be, and to there's be some, fair, you know, when your two teams you play are featuring Juvinko and Toronto and Piatti Montreal, you're probably going to face a little bit more raw shots than, than you usually would. Um, but that is a good thing to have an eye on to see what, uh, see if that progresses as well. Um, Okay, team last week, we were very, very down on uh, the New England Revolution. Managed to squeak out three points against the Colorado Rapids at home. Um, did you see anything from New England that made you feel better about them at all? No. No, I didn't either. <laughs> and, <laughs> like, really? Like, they win a I game and we're to. like, yeah. I really wanted to. Uh, I'm rooting for you guys. Come on. Uh, you know, you have... Um, this is what we saw last year too. Like just these things that happen at home, and and they, they got a deflected free kick in the ninety third minute, and uh, yeah. good on Chris Tierney, and uh, you know he came on and played well uh, for Somi, who kind of went out with a concussion really early in the first half. Um, honestly, uh, <clears throat> playing against Colorado is another team that we don't have super high uh, up on our list. Uh, we already talked about how incredibly active. Colorado was defensively uh, and creating defensive actions. Um, yeah, I, I think that, that definitely you saw that they are just a little bit better at home. Things kind of go their way a bit more. They managed to not get any red cards. That was an improvement. Um, I, I still remain not even, I wouldn't even say cautiously optimistic. I'm like somewhere between cautiously optimistic and pessimistic about the New England Revolution still. Yeah, I, look, you know, there's a couple things that you can take into account. You know, Andrew Farrell had to play central uh, defense mm-hmm, mm-hmm. again, and he's not good at that. But uh, the other side of the coin was that Colorado really um, really created some opportunities. Uh, Nicky Jackson looks uh, really interesting. Yeah, uh, somebody active with, player. Yeah, yeah he, he really is. He, he actually kind of reminds me a little bit of uh, Eddie Johnson, especially that header. Um, yeah. was very Eddie Johnson-esque. So that was that was kind of exciting to see him come off the bench, uh, be a difference maker. And I think that's something that Colorado needs, and I think this is an opportunity for him before some of those, uh, you know, um, players such as uh, what Joe Mason, you know, he hasn't had any play, playing time yet, but I imagine he's going to eventually. So it's good that yeah. he's getting those opportunities early. Um, but and they they beat New England in the uh, XG game, and most of this game was w- zero and one, uh, neg one goal state. So uh, it really 
was up, the game was up for grabs. And yeah, Colorado missed the penalty and then a follow-up, which was right there in front of the spot. Mm-hmm. So that, that certainly uh, were some wasted good high-leverage opportunities there. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, there's, there's, I, I don't want to say that, you know, New England just got lucky uh, again. Um, but at the same time, there is some, anytime you win an MLS, I just said it, you know, there is some associated luck. And yeah. this feels more so lucky than what uh, LAFC did uh, in Seattle. Yeah, I mean, you I, you have a deflected free kick going at the 93rd minute. You manage to stop a penalty, and then the rebound just gets unbelievably, you know, skied somehow. Um, they're, they're, <laughs> I'm going to go ahead and call that an element of luck to that victory. Um, but good for New England to get the points while they can get them. Um, but I think also I kind of came out with a little bit more respect for Colorado than I had when I started that match. Colorado's um, an interesting team. Yeah. I, I think that it's really interesting that they he's – um, and I say he, uh, that their coach Anthony Hudson has kind of uh, gone with, you know, Enzo Martinez as his starting midfielder. Yeah, that he's gone with, you know, uh, Jack Price. These are both guys that, you know, they're interesting being brought in, but they ne- weren't necessarily difference makers or uh, at least advertised difference makers. And uh, here they are. Um, obviously, they. Both had some um, big moments in this game, I think, as well as they had some interesting moments during the CCL uh, that yeah. I thought were impacting. So it, uh, Colorado may not have any points at this stage, but they're definitely one that I think uh, will be interesting to follow because I think they have that something, yeah, just as good as points. They have our attention. Well, uh, yeah, I think that they, <laughs> they definitely have our attention going forward, right? There you go. All right, uh, moving forward here, let's talk about a crazy game. Uh, Kansas City defeating Chicago 4-3, like a billion goals exchanged in the last 14 minutes of that game. Um, You know, this was something that caused Chicago very, very uh, put together. 3.26 XG, Kansas City um, 1.58. But Kansas City still manages to win. Um, you know, this is a hard. This is a game that's really hard to kind of like analyze because, again, it was just so much happened very chaotically in such a short space of time. Uh, but one thing that we did kind of realize was that Chicago still maybe a little bit mm, kind of suspect defensively. Uh, certainly, first game of the season, you can forgive um, a couple lapses uh, towards the end of uh, of the match. But 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 uh, overall, they'll be very disappointed not to come away with three points from that game. Yeah, so uh, the story out of this is that SKC just completely gave this game away. Um, mm-hmm. You know, that's that's what everybody's going to advertise. And, you know, to be fair, they really did. But most of that was all um, in the second half. If you yeah. actually look at that first half, they had all of, you know, like a couple of shots. And that is how they scored their goals. I mean, it was very... Uh, SKC-ish, I guess, um, I would say. Um, they they kind of bossed the game early on. They took control mm-hmm. of it. And, you know, um, I'm sorry, if Chicago had one shot in the first half. Yeah. Um, so they really bossed uh, the first half of this, of this game. And it was the second half. And I'm kind of interested to see because, you know, there are subs that were made um, – Early on in that second half, Jerzo uh, Fernandez, uh, Ily Sanchez got the uh, got the yellow card. Uh, Jimmy Ronda subbed in for Seth uh, Snovic. Uh, so mm-hmm. there were changes that were made to that back line that kind of, and not just the back line, but also um, the attack as well that was kind of doing some nice hold-up play early on. And I kind of wonder if that's just those substitutions just, didn't help uh, kind of compact all those issues all at once because it's it's like all of a sudden the floodgates open for Chicago and you yep. know from the 60th minute um, what, from the 60th minute to about the 85th minute they had uh, 10 shots which is just it, it's crazy they just absolutely broke through onto the offensive yep. and uh, so it, the story is you know SK's defense is in shambles it's a mess. Uh, it's a ba- it's, it's a bad 20 minutes yeah. is roughly what I'm going to look at it as. And, uh, you know, we haven't seen that that bad of 20 minutes from uh, Peter Vermees team before. But, you know, 
let's wait a little bit till we find out, um, till we have a little bit more established before we yeah. pronounce them horrible. I mean, New York coming in there like they did last week was a little surprising. Um, yeah. But you know, let's let's get let's get some information. Let's evaluate them before we just um, go all worried. I like that. I like that. Uh, next match, uh, one we saw. This was kind of a surprising result, I think. Uh, New York Red Bulls kind of resting some players. Um, beat Portland for nothing at home. And uh, man, I gotta say, Portland was really, really bad. You know what was great about everything that happened? It, it, it wasn't Red Bull fans calling out Portland. It yeah. was Portland fans just absolutely uh, eviscerating their team online. Yeah, um, it's, not, it's not a happy place. No, but you know what? I have such respect for fans that can call, that can call crap out. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, you know, there, there's probably going to be some leadership changes within the, that structure of that, uh, of that starting 11, you know. Yeah, uh, Liam Ridgewell did not look good coming off that field. And, no. you know, there's a lot of videotape on, on, those, uh, on those guys. That being said, um, you, there are some really good moments from Portland. And the fact that they didn't score any goals is kind of a, a misnomer, right? We can look at this scoreline and be like, oh, Portland was awful. And, you know, that being said, Portland probably should have pulled at least one goal out of this. And, you know, um, that happens. I think Darren Esprilla had a, had a really interesting game. Uh, Blanco had another um, really, I think he had a good game. And uh, David Guzman is somebody that uh, I'm – I, I think he's going to be very quietly uh, make his own mark in MLS this year if he can stay healthy. Yeah, absolutely. No, he he was he was very active. Um, I don't think there's any concerns about Portland. You know, in their attack, um, you know, there's obviously a lot of talent there. That even if it's not firing this week, uh, is going to fire <clears throat> more often than not throughout the course of the season. Um, but defensively. I think is mainly where all the concerns are because Red Bull New York had a very easy time just just strolling through that back line over and over and over again. Yeah, no, some of the videos that were that were made from that that was just it, it, it's hard to see. It's it's like hard to watch. It's like watching. Um, yeah, <laughs> I can't yeah, even really Carlos relate Rivas, it. Right, Carlos it, Rivas. Yeah, Carlos Rivas. Uh, you know, um, man, Red Bull are so deep. Are they like this? Is like I like how this has become the narrative from this game, and I'm I'm, I'm interested to see if this stands the test of a few more weeks. You know, uh, this is something that I don't think that's it's fair for it to become a narrative this week, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they, you, Sean Davis, you know, Kaku, uh, uh, Derek, uh, on, it, Etante, Etienne. Etienne, uh, yeah. you know, he's, he, he's been uh, in their organization for a number of years. He's obviously someone that, um, while m- may not have great choices uh, in, within social media, um, is obviously a prized <laughs> attacker. And, and Carlos Rivas is uh, a guy that's going to create shot, going to generate shots. Um, and, and he did that exact, he did exactly that. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you have a really in Colin coming off the bench. Um, uh, Escobar is probably a starter for at least uh, Minnesota, if not, you know, five other teams. So, yeah. you know, this team, yeah, it's really easy to kind of say tongue-in-cheek, they're so deep, but they really are. And, and they just added Tim Parker. Yeah, they just added – well, and that's part of that depth, though, right? You know, Colin wasn't a starting caliber um, defensive player anymore. He just wasn't. And – that being said, and it, it showed on a couple different plays uh, within this game, even though Portland didn't score, he did have a couple of, uh, of really poor decision-making that it didn't hurt New York. But that being said, he's not someone that they're going to go to every week, and he's not somebody you want to go to Champions League with. The, uh, right. I really like the fact they got Tim Parker. I think that's an excellent move. Oh, me too, me too. So that's going to be a team to watch going forward and in CONCACAF Champions League. Uh, this week. Uh, next match was Atlanta United versus their nemeses. Uh, <laughs> DC United. Uh, Atlanta finally uh, find a way to defeat um, 
the 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 monster that is Benny Ball. Uh, three to one. Um, I think resume back to normal. Anna Service here. This is this is the team we saw last year, not the team we saw last week. Um. Yeah. So there is there's some really surprising decisions, and you know, um, I I kind of. Uh, alluded to it, I disdain the the term Billy Ball, uh, you know, Benny Ball or whatever they, yes, they, they want to call it. it. Um, but here's the deal. They made a lot of uh, really surprising tactical mistakes um, that you have to pretty much lay at the feet of Ben Olsen because uh, Houston gave you a roadmap. I mean, they, 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 they wrote you, here's the highways. They wrote it, they highlighted it, and they said, this is how you attack. And DC did not do any of those things. They didn't try. They didn't make. There was no attempt to get behind the the wingbacks. Uh, Escobar or mm-hmm. uh, or Gressel uh, was another one. At Garza being the other. Um, they made no effort to try to um, create width there on that back line and try to cut through it. Um, they didn't. They weren't able to sub in Acosta. I think you know Acosta is, is constantly a, either a health risk or he's not fit, which really hurt them this week of all yeah. of all times. This is a time that you really need him fit because he's going to be able to to give those passes because you're going to have to break them down at some point. And when um, he came on, you did see things kind of tilt a little bit more towards DCs. Yeah, but I, I mean, you look and the, I put this out here on on, uh, on Twitter. It, that was just you really only saw. Um, I think Ariola didn't have had two dribbles, um, and they were in the second half, um, and none, neither of which were successful in the attacking half. Um, mm-hmm. That's just not. I mean, that's just not going to be successful. I mean, you saw that last week where they just took it to Garza. Um, mm-hmm. They ran down that line and they said, hey, we're going to expose expose him. He's a, a kind of attacking uh, fullback, so we're going to eat up that space behind them and we're going to try to create from that. Yeah. At no time did you see DC try to do that. And as a counterattacking team, that was really surprising to me. Um, additionally, you know, Maddox, uh, now leads ML- uh, MLS and expected goals. So well there, done, Darren Maddox. that's, that's your awful thing of the week. Um, well, <laughs> yeah, no, I know what you mean. He, he's a, it's good to see him succeeding, but, yes. um, and, and he had quite a few, you talk about dribbles, you know, he had a quite yeah. a few, he had about a half dozen himself, um, that he was rather successful on and, and really, you know, he got that, I don't want to call it a trash goal, but it was a trash goal, uh, at the end, um, in the 86 minute. So, uh, mm-hmm. you know, um, superfluous goal. That's probably a better, uh, yeah. more neutral way of stay, stating it, yeah. but we'll say superfluous. You know, it just, they didn't have a good way of going forward at the Atlanta attack. And um, that allowed Atlanta get to get comfortable, to get Nagby on the ball, to get Almiron on the ball. And yeah. hey, uh, imagine this. Uh, they just completely diced uh, that hor- that very um, shaky back line apart. Yeah, that wasn't too surprising. I guess that was my impression, my main thing as well, uh, compared to the Houston, was just how incredibly comfortable Atlanta looked and they were so uh, out of place in Houston and so out of sorts and, and, and they didn't even seem to be in a huge rush to like put five goals past them either like they just took their time and just picked them apart um, so yeah he said mistakes were made for DC United Atlanta fans will be very happy to see their team back towards winning ways uh, and we will definitely keep an eye on them going forward uh, our, uh, another match that was very interesting this week uh, we had New York City Football Club uh, defeat the Los Angeles Galaxy 2-1, and I only wrote one thing down about this game, and it is the word Medina. Yeah, dude, they, young guy can ball. I mean, look. <laughs> right? Diego Rossi kind of stole a little bit of the weekend because, you know, he had goals and assists, and that's that's going to happen anytime mm-hmm. in a league. You, you put up numbers, you're going to get noticed, but Medina was really quietly extremely good. And... Yeah. and um, you adding him with uh, David Villa, uh, that's, oh, yeah, that, I, they, they really definitely took time to um, carve up 
that back line. Uh, I can't believe that Daniel Starris uh, has not started the last two games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was, so, yeah, I don't know what that is all about either. This is a guy that last year accumulated more Audi index points than Diego Valeri, so I have no idea why. Well, you know, I don't think I don't think, <laughs> think Schmidt stares at the Audi index too too frequently. Oh, and, and to be fair, I don't know if that that's an apt comparison. That said, you know, I said last week I think that he's a Matt uh, young Matt Hedges or kind of a cheap uh, version knockoff <laughs> version of Matt Hedges in a lot of different okay. ways. Um, I think he has a very similar skill set, and I think that if he's used. Uh, and I think they have all the pieces to use him in this way that he can be extremely effective. Um, you know, that back line, I think, is much better than what they indicated. I think um, once you started seeing L.A. being able to control the ball a little bit, you start you started to see uh, some of that pressure kind of come off that back line. Yeah, they really came into it in the second half more. Uh, it, it's kind of funny. They started controlling the midfield a little bit better. Yeah. I can't imagine why that would be. Yeah, um, it's amazing how that always works. You know, Maxime Morales is a guy that, you know, a lot of times I kind of underrate because I have in my mind he was supposed to be something. You know, the the, the South American version of uh, Sebastian Giovinco kind of got like splashed around a few times. Yeah, and that that's unfair. It, it totally, it totally was. But you know, yeah. he does really a great job, and he's such an unselfish player there yeah, in that midfield. He really is. He's such a great player uh, for Patrick Vieira. And I think that having him in that midfield along with Ring um, really makes uh, those outlying passes. Yeah, and Herrera, of course. You know, that goes without saying. I mean, there's been miles of tape written on him. Yeah, this NYCFC team is one I just... I feel like they're not even... I think there's more to come from them. I think this could be a really big year for this team. Yeah, you know, um, I kind of I've been down on them before. I don't think a, I think Patrick Vieira as a tactician is a little bit overblown. That being said, um, you know, uh, he gets the job done, and yeah. I think he puts players. I, I really think that he's a great man man manager, and I think he puts players in the right position to succeed. Um, yeah. I, we didn't. One thing that I, I will point out is I don't think I ever saw him make it adjustment and, and this could, I, I I am not by any means this really soulful watcher of soccer and can you know pick out you know manager decisions during the game but I didn't really feel like NYC at any time many made any adjustments to the strength that LA uh, kind of brought in that second half yeah it is one thing that you can say about Vieira is that his team seemed to have a very this is our plan and <laughs> we're going to stick with our plan yeah and we're going to make this plan work. And if it doesn't work, we're going to just keep trying to make our plan work. So that that is a fair thing. And it's not the first time I've heard things uh, such things said about him. But, um, you know, the more correct players he adds to that system, uh, Tinner Holm looks to be um, a very good addition there as well. Um, you're going to see that system continue to, 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 to work more often. And, uh, yeah, I think that I think we're both in agreement that NYCFC, good team. LA Galaxy, also a good team but not quite as good as NYCFC. No. Uh, okay, just two more real quick. Um, Minnesota defeats Orlando City at Orlando City 2-1. Um, good victory for Minnesota. I don't think it, it spoke very... Um, you know, I, it, this wasn't a full-strength Orlando, and that, that's a perfectly fair thing to point out. And You know, uh, the fact that even a half-strength Orlando probably is better than Minnesota on paper probably doesn't speak well of Orlando either in their in their performance on this game. Um, we saw, you know, just, just I think with Orlando City, we're still, it's still so much just like the coming attractions. Like we, we're seeing trailers, but we haven't seen the film yet. Yeah, or uh, Justin Miram kind of seemed like he took this, in, the, the first two games, it seems like he's really taken a lot on himself to try mm-hmm. to do, and I almost think that maybe he might be trying to do too much. That being said, uh, I still think that he, it's been really fun to see him take over a team because at no time do I feel like he, it's really ever been his team. This definitely yeah. has the his team feel to it, or at least maybe that's my own uh, mind giving that narrative, you know? Uh, that well, be- yeah, I mean, more so. I think that, that obviously without Dwyer in there, without Kleshin in there. Yeah. Um, 
I think that his his role will shrink once those two are back in the fold. But but it is true. Like he did kind of try to pull a Piatti or a Javinko there and just do it all on his own. And, and on multiple and, and really uh he just kind of got unlucky on a couple occasions. Um yeah. I think Minnesota uh really s- scraped through this game and oh yeah um every time they win they do right and that's that's probably uh gonna be their hallmark at least for at least the rest of the season in my opinion it Um, was good to see them get these these wing players really contributing finley had a very good game nicholson had a very very good game on the other side um ramirez was a little bit uh you know he he did a lot of work yeah he did a lot of work on the first goal um but but got basically no touches otherwise. I think he had ten touches um, before coming off. Uh, Ethan Toye uh, actually probably did more um, than than than, than uh, Ramirez did in his brief uh, amount of time on the pitch to to kind of look at to further uh, make a case for further minutes. Uh, I think, and that that would be an interesting thing to see going forward. As again, we talked about ad nauseum earlier, they do have those those two you know, really young dynamic uh, Fords um, and Ramirez. So there's some decisions to make there, but. Um, Kind of as you were, good for Adrian Heath. I know that that felt good to go back to your old your old club and get the victory. So um, really still waiting, I think, on on Orlando and uh, to see kind of like how this is going to work out. Yeah. So uh, real fast, you mentioned uh, both being without Dom Dwyer, being without uh, Sasha Kleshin, huge attacking pieces, but also without uh, Sané, who uh, also oh, right, right, is yeah. sitting on their bench, uh, who is a League One uh, defender who is going to be an impact level defender. I. I there's some real quality that's going to be coming to their defense uh, over the next few weeks. So that's going to be uh, really big for them. All right, our last game of the weekend. Well, it was one of our first games of the weekend, but it's last on my list for some reason. Um, we had Vancouver going to Houston, getting three points. That's not easy to do, uh, to go there to the no. uh, to go to Houston and win, um, especially after Houston so thoroughly dismantled Atlanta last week. Uh, I think we expect a little more from them. Uh, Houston definitely a little stronger on the expected goals showing, um, but Vancouver, you know, got a penalty, got Kai Kamara. I mean, you just it, they got it done. Yeah, um, one of the things that I just is is just hysterical is just seeing all the uh, the ability of Kai Kamara just to completely fit his like this is like his team like this is like a guy that's been lost in the desert for years and he just kind of finds his his own right. well like a year and a half i feel like it's been a lot longer it just i don't feel like he's had yeah i guess it's been a year and a half since you know and columbus they kind of cater towards him but i don't feel like that was ever like what Greg Berhalter really want, you know, rubber no, stamp. That's what no, he wants no. to do. He just was taking advantage of, and playing to his player's strengths. Right. Yeah. Um, but what is hysterical is that this is Vancouver. They have the perfect and it's Houston that throws 47 crosses up in this game. I cannot. I, I, what? Have, a, I have a lot of questions about what happened what? in the second half there. That was, you are, you are playing. That is the absolute wrong team to be doing that strategy against. Yes! Yes! I would not pick that team as one I want to cross into a lot. Especially as much luck as they had the previous week. You know, how with Elise out wide, moving in, getting to the byline. I Just like, all these long early crosses in. Um, you know, they pulled Minotas, uh, who admittedly was not having a great match. But, you know, nonetheless, gives you some more ability in the middle of the park, I think. Um Still waiting on, uh, you know, Tomas Martinez, I think, to really um, embrace that 10 role to kind of become, like, a super influential player, which I just don't think we've seen yet. Um, but, uh, yeah, it, it's it's a situation that just kind of, like, Houston has these weird kind of start-stops uh, throughout. They did it throughout last season, even when they were very, very dominant. Um, and I think this is just something hopefully Wilmer can kind of take back to the board and go, like, we came and we just did the very much the, the worst thing we could have done here in the second half uh, absolutely and, and completely in agreement with you it's it's mind-boggling and that's something they're they are going to have to take back but that being said i mean there 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 is I, so there is some i mean you could say kamara got the early yellow card there is some conditioning like you could say uh you know kendall waston maybe you're you trying to get 
exploit some, it just, yeah, it just was really mind boggling as far as the decision-making and, and how they went about this. Um, you know, it seems like they're a much smarter club than this. And yeah. I'll, I'll just leave it at that. They're a much smarter club than to do this. Indeed. Indeed. So, uh, that is all for our games of the week. Um, I think we're done, Harrison. I think we talked about everything that we could talk about. I felt like I just—I I felt like I ended up like being someone's mom. Yeah, that's you, fine. That's that's your role on this show. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody else's mom. Somebody else has got to do it. You're, you're the major league soccer mom. Okay. Um, folks, thank you so very, very much for listening. Um, I want to thank, as always, my co-host Harrison Crow. Uh, you can find Harrison on Twitter at Harrison underscore Crow. Uh, please, please follow Analysis Evolved on Twitter and visit our page at www.americansoccernalysis.com. Great articles up there now. We teased it earlier. Jared Young's got something coming forth. Always good stuff. You're going to want to check that out so that you can be the smartest soccer person at your water cooler. I promise you that. Unless your water cooler is at like a soccer team you might not be but other than that just a regular office i can promise you that uh my name is ian uh you can find me on the weekends at total mls uh doing commentary and gifts uh for all the weekends action uh and you can follow my personal account if you feel so inclined at the 16th doc uh thank you all very very much for listening again we'll see you next week and until then enjoy the soccer <laughs>